with us. God bless you. How is everybody this morning? I uh, am glad to be here. I'm glad to see everybody else here. Lily, we're glad to see you back with us today. Glad to have you back with us. And I am mostly glad to have the Lord with us today. I, uh, I never cease to be amazed that when little old me shows up and little old you shows up, that God shows up. And I'm not all that big and all that important. And at the end of the day, all of us aren't all that important in what happens at the end of time. But when we come together and we begin to worship, God shows up. And I am always amazed. I am always humbled when God shows up to uh, be with us. The word says he inhabits the praises of his people. He dwells in or he lives in the praises of his people. And I am so glad that when I begin to praise, he begins to dwell there. And I'm thankful for that this morning. That is not my lesson. That's your freebie. Um, I'm just happy to be able to be in the presence of an almighty God today. We're going to start out in the book of Matthew, uh, the 28th chapter, the 19th verse. And most of us can probably quote it. It uh, came to mind this weekend, and I'll, I'll get to there in a moment. But uh, Matthew 28, 19, Christ is just about to leave. In fact, we're only one uh, verse before the end of Matthew, so we're pretty well at the end of the book there. Uh, he, he's about to leave, and he's talking to them before he leaves, and he gives us what we today call the Great Commission. It says, Go therefore, or go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And you can be seated this morning. I, I want to talk for a few moments this morning simply about the work of winning souls. Um, my wife and I, I, I surprised my wife. I'm not good at surprises. Um, I tend to tell my wife what a surprise is months before it's coming. So I've got a new technique that worked this time that I just waited to plan a surprise until it was time to do it uh, within a day or two, and then I couldn't tell her about it because I didn't know about it. And it, it worked. So for once, I was able to surprise my wife, and I, we, I took her to Memphis. Uh, we left Friday, come back Saturday, just a, a quick short trip, but we were supposed to be elsewhere, and plans didn't work out. So I said, well, let's just get away for a quick trip. And we went there, and we ate a bunch of good food, and Walked around a little bit, but the highlight of my weekend, so we were walking along Beale Street, and some guy stopped me. Now, I had my, had my first church shirt on, Pastor, and uh, so this guy, he sees my first church shirt, so he decides he's going to go ahead and stop me and tell me about Jesus. What he didn't know is that that meant he was getting a 30-minute Bible study on oneness on Beale Street. Um, and it even got better when he realized, saw the UPC tag on the bottom there and tried to tell me what we believed, and then I got to tell him a little more. And we had a great time. There was a highlight of my weekend to get to tell this guy for, I don't know, about 20 minutes. And I got some real weird looks because we're sitting there discussing Bible and quoting Scripture back and forth, and it, it was a pretty good little conversation we had there right in front of B.B. King's uh, Blues Club. And we're, uh, the music's going and people are going. And there's some guys doing backflips over other people in the street and people all over the place. And we just got to sit there for a few minutes and talk about Jesus. Before I went, I thought the highlight of my day was going to be the 
uh, tomahawk pork chop I had just finished. This has nothing to do with the lesson, but man, it was good. If you want to see a picture, ask me later. I took pictures of it. I'm one of those people. It was gorgeous. It tasted amazing. Um, it was good food. So if you want to see that later, just ask me. I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, I thought that was going to be the highlight of my weekend, but we, we got to stop and talk to this guy for a little bit. And what really impressed me is that he didn't seem to be there with anything to do. He didn't have a group with him. He didn't have anybody with him. He didn't seemed to be going anywhere. In fact, I had seen him earlier in the day. We went down and kind of walked around uh, earlier in the day, and then we went on a carriage ride and saw the ducks at the Peabody because my wife wanted to see some ducks walk into an elevator. Uh, and we went back and ate dinner. We were just leaving dinner, walking back to the hotel, and I saw this guy again. He'd been down there roaming around at this point for three or four hours. I realized what he was doing was he was just down there telling people about Jesus. And I, I thought about that a little bit. It kind of stuck with me. And uh, as I thought about that, I began to realize that he was taking to heart this verse we read in Matthew. Go ye, therefore, this man had said, I, I wasn't there to tell people about Jesus. I'm not going to act super spiritual. I was there to eat this tomahawk pork chop and surprise my wife with a weekend date and uh, that was the, the goal of my day. But this, this gentleman, the goal of his day, what he had set aside the time to do was go to tell somebody about Jesus. Now I begin to think now when I, when I think of that guy, uh, that's what I think about as a guy that's going to tell somebody about Jesus. And I begin to think about how we, uh, how we define ourselves. We meet people, we go into a new social setting, we walk into a new group of people, and oftentimes we're asked, what do you do? And that's a big part of how we define ourselves is what we do. And <coughs> I'm not very good at that question, mostly because I haven't decided what I'm going to do with my life yet. Uh, I've been to school for a few different things. I, I like to do a little bit of everything. Uh, and generally, I start with my hobbies anyway. But what they mean is what do you do for a living? What do you do for work? Um, and because we spend so much of our time at work, we spend... So much of our time in today's world, I mean, 40 hours is what we talk about of a work week, but most jobs I've worked, I were 50 to 60 to keep up most of the time, uh, just to get enough done that I could maybe push the ball off till next week. Um, but as a general rule, most of us probably spend somewhere, or if we're retired, previously spent somewhere, 40, 50 hours a week somewhere, working. And that is when people ask, what do you do? What they're asking is, what do you do for work? And, and that becomes a definer in who we are in today's society. I remember all the time my, my dad would be asked as I was growing up, what do you do? It was always the same answer. I sell two by fours. Uh, my dad's managed the same building supply store since I think 91 or 92, as long as I can remember. And, uh, he's always done the same thing. He says, I, I sell two-by-fours. And somewhere along the line, a few years ago, he decided it was time, Pastor, he was going to do something different. He said, I, I've been, all I've done is sell two-by-fours. He said, I think his first job, not much after he and my mom got married, and slightly after I was born, he started at a 
building supply store in upstate New York. And since then, that's all he'd done. He said, I'm going to do something else. So he went to work as an investment broker for Edward Jones and did it for about a year and realized that he kind of liked selling two-by-fours. So he called his boss, and I think his boss had already been calling him, and he went back to the same desk in the same store that he'd been at all my life. And today he's, well, not today because he's at church, but tomorrow he'll be sitting at that desk selling two-by-fours. He realized that that's what he had done and that's what he knew and that's what he liked and that really does define my dad a little bit. When I think of him, I think about a guy that just sells two-by-fours. And we know people that are defined. Oftentimes we are defined. And we come into these situations and say, what do you do? And we answer that with what we begin to define by our occupation. And oftentimes that carries its own societal expectations. I've got a friend that uh, is a carpenter, and as such, his house will probably never be finished. I, I've been a carpenter, and our houses were never finished. Because the carpenter gets his house done when he sells it to start another one. Does anybody know any mechanics that have a broken down car? Because you've got to go work on somebody else's. And it's a societal expectation almost that a mechanic is going to have something wrong with his car. Uh, we, we know different people and we tend to judge who they are or what they do. We expect a lawyer to have a nice car. We uh, expect a doctor to have a pretty nice ride and live in a pretty nice house. We expect these things and oftentimes it's almost weird when we see things outside that norm. I have a good friend who his dad is a doctor. He's a doctor as well, but his dad's a doctor and uh, been the local doctor in Piedmont all my life and I can remember he drove my fascination with my little blue Jeep Cherokee. Uh, Dr. Tony drove a green one just like it. In worse shape than mine, if you can believe that. All of my life, he still drives the thing. The man's drove it for like 30 years. I think it was in bad shape when he bought it. And, I mean, he could drive whatever he wanted. His wife drives a very nice Mercedes. He's got a beautiful house. He actually has a really nice truck that doesn't get driven, replaces it every year or two, but just what he likes. And you, you think it's a little weird when the guy pulls up to the doctor's office and you see the reserve for physician parking and there's like fenders falling off and mud dropping off the thing and a big oil spot right where the, where the doctor parks. Uh, it doesn't meet that societal expectation because the doctor's supposed to drive the nice car. He comes by it honestly. His dad bought one new truck in his life, who was also a doctor. Um, and the one new truck in his life he bought, two days later it got stuck. So he got it out and got his rifle out of the seat and shot it and went back to driving his old one. So that's just my people. That's where I come from. We're not right. Um, however, the societal expectation of, of what goes with who we are and what we do um, says a lot. When I was a carpenter, I drove a truck. Not a, like a tractor trailer, but I drove a pickup truck. And my pickup truck always had tools in the back. There was usually some dirt on it and some mud somewhere on it. And that was what I drove because I was a carpenter. When I was a, uh, when I worked as an engineer, which is what I went to school for, for most of my schooling, I I tend to drove a little, drive a little car, something that got decent mileage and 
It was kind of fun to drive and uh, usually German stuff, BMWs and such, because engineers like weirdly engineered things. And even though I would maybe do something else later, that was at the time what I did. And we have these things that define us, but at the end of the day, my definition should never be when I walk in and somebody says, what do you do? Christ didn't say, go you therefore and spread your profession. Go you therefore and tell everybody who you are. He said, go and teach all nations. I wonder if at the end of my life, everybody that I've met is going to know me as Jason the Carpenter. Or is Jason the soul winner? I wonder if, if when the end of my days come, are they going to say, well, he built my house? Or, man, I remember when that guy told me about Jesus. That will tell a lot of us when people know who we 